Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, interviews with the living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week, coming to us from Portland, Oregon, is Mr. Jason Cooper. Hi, Jason. How's it going? Uh, medium plus. So, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> it, it, it only ever gets to awesome minus on my scale. So, medium plus is not too bad. <laughs> okay. Awesome. And uh, we're going to definitely ask you about your scale and uh, what that uh, highest level would be. But before we get to that... Our standard question for all guests to provide somewhat of an anchor of familiarity is I ask, uh, how old are you? Where did you grow up? And what generation do you consider yourself a member of, if any? Okay, well, um, I was, uh, I will turn 50 in December, in the last three days of some, uh, December, uh, right before the turn of the year. So, uh, like that's coming up, and that's a that's a big signpost. Um, let's see, where did I grow up? I grew up in a combination of places: Holland, Michigan, um, Lewiston, Idaho, and uh, yeah. So it was a it was a combination of those two. And actually, uh, I worked in a nonprofit for a while and went to a conference which kind of told me which generation i'm in to try and promote different generations working together in like a nonprofit scenario um boomers with millennials and things like that and i found out that i am generation joneses we were the first generation raised by television. <laughs> um, we are particularly susceptible to advertising, which begrudgingly I find true. Um, and uh, we have like the work ethic of the greatest generation with the ennui that would be inherited by Generation X. So, you know, we did a good job, but we knew <laughs> we knew what was happening. Uh, that kind of like really well segues into um, how you feel today and how it's a medium whatever. Uh, I think you said medium minus or medium plus today? Medium plus today. Something fun that I do, um, you know, because people ask you how are you doing constantly when you go to the grocery store or the gas station or, you know, wherever you have a, a transactional thing. How are you doing? And uh I just thought about defining my terms and creating a, creating a scale uh, that made sense to me um, and just put it out there, you know, awesome plus. And people usually laugh. Um, you would imagine that a scale of awesome plus to uh, shitty minus would be the reach of the scale but I only go from shitty minus to awesome minus maybe in moments. Um, it doesn't quite get all the way up there like it used to. <laughs> well, that's two questions now that I want to ask you about this just alone. But um, 
what I wanted to say is your answer for why you say it is also why I wanted to interview, which is you're an instantly familiar and funny person. And I'm saying this from having only emailed with you, but you just have a, a way of being witty and concise in your emailing at least, which has already translated into your conversational tone. So I'm curious, uh, well, first of all, I know you currently live in Portland, which is a place where I think a lot of uh, just one bar above misanthropic uh, personalities tend to congregate. I lived there for five years. That's funny that you would use the term misanthrope or misanthropic because I considered myself a misanthrope when I was in my home state of Michigan and had intended to move west. And when I fell in love with 2002 Portland, it turned, you know, it, in Michigan, I wanted everybody but about six people dead just because you know horrible biomass waste of you know uh i was just about everybody and then i came to portland and uh before this time period you're talking about when they were definitely um coming <laughs> um i came there and i ended up being like restoring my belief in people and so, like, instead of wanting everybody but six people dead, I only wanted, like, six specific people to meet with misfortune instead of, you know. And it was a it was a big shift for me. It was hard because I'd go to cross the street and cars would slow down to allow me to do this. And I would get annoyed because where I'm from, we take care of ourselves. We wait until you're gone with your car and then we cross the street safely. So now you've created like <laughs> this weird instance where, okay, do I believe that the other guy coming is gonna stop too? Uh, if I start crossing the road here and I was just waving people by angrily, but um, you know, it was, it was something cute about the city that I loved. <laughs> yeah. What I'm curious about, because you're reflecting about who you were and who you've become and who you are, how much of your disposition, your whether or not you're a misanthrope or not, has to do with where you live versus you? Like, would you have achieved a same sense of peace had you stayed in Michigan and just cultivated a different attitude? Or do you think the environment really affects us this much? Um, I think moving far away from where you grew up is uh, very significant, you know, worthwhile thing for you to do in developing who you are. Because when you stay at home and you never leave, you're held into that framework that people that have known you that long have you in. And leaving and going somewhere else gives you the ability, if you use it, to completely restructure who you are, what your attitude is, and how you go about things. So that, I don't know, it's, <laughs> it's reinvention. Maybe it sounds sinister, but it's not. It's just, like, these people don't know me. I get to be a different person to them than what everybody knows me as. I moved clear across the country and alone four times in my life, and all four times it had a great immediate effect, I think, similar to what you're describing. I never was able to answer the following, but I'm going to pitch it to you. So is your identity equally constructed by others and yourself, or is the one for yourself going to outweigh the one from others? 
I feel like, uh, hmm, that's a good question. I feel like being around wonderful people, um, you know, soaks into your clothes, <laughs> gets into your skin and helps because like, uh, like children growing up, uh, your idea of a romance and a relationship, uh, how, you know, how it's supposed to be, it comes from your parents or, you know, um, the negative is demonstrated by your parents, depending on how your cards came out. But, um, you know, that having that around you um, helped you identify your idea of love, you know, before you went out and started whittling that down for yourself. And I think being a good person, like you might want sit there in your misanthropy and like be like, I, I'd like to be a better person, really you know, if all these assholes were around, but like when you're, when you're surrounded by interesting people who just clear space for you to be whoever you are, you know, and you learn how to do that from them, you, it's by demonstration, by uh, just vibrational tone, like <laughs> all the way through the wavelengths. Wow. Um, God, there's so many good questions to ask. <laughs> I have so many good questions I want to ask you, but I feel like we've jumped over the premise of the entire podcast. So I think now would actually be an important time to ask you the question about life and death so that then we can backtrack and get into it all. So I have a feeling everything we've asked you about is absolutely going to tie into it. But what do you actually think happens to you when you die? And I ask you this on, as you suggested, the best day ever to record this. It's Day of the Dead, everyone. And I want to give you credit, Jason, because you're the one who suggested it. And I love that. So it's Day of the Dead. You're turning 50. What the hell happens to you when you die? My last five or six years uh, have been medically complicated to the point where I'm pretty much broken. And all it's going to take is the expansion of some tissue to cut off the blood supply to my brain so at 50 i'm kind of you know looking at a, at a 75 80 year olds perspective of things um i've been medically advanced in age physically <laughs> i just i'm an old man way earlier than i should have been i've always been hale and hearty i've had this thing that's wrong with me and that's the only thing that's been wrong with me throughout my life and it just knock the legs out from under me and uh and this is where i am uh portland and i actually broke up i am out in uh eastern washington in a small town and uh just kind of living my best life um until until death and <laughs> the one of the reasons i left portland is ties into what I know is going to happen when I die or am, am confident will happen because I cast a spell about it. <laughs> um, so my cat Penelope was murdered by a person on January 31st of this year. I searched for her all night. She was an indoor-outdoor cat. I searched for her all night. I knew something was wrong. 
She wasn't just a cat. She was a bonded familiar, and I lost hit points, so I knew something was wrong. It's for your D&D crowd out there. Um, but, you know, when I found her, she was destroyed, and destroyed in a way that an animal wouldn't other than the kind that, you know, drives cars and uses tools. Um, and that just almost killed me, but I, uh, without going into all of that. <laughs> well, you can get into it as much as you want. I mean, I, I, we are here to explore death and then how it affects the way you live your life and morality. And we entertain every thought and every position. We are uh, open-minded to the extreme. So yeah, whatever you think is important, but I think to update where I'm at in this interview with you, just so you can track where I'm tracking, you are profoundly interesting because you have a lot of different perspectives and amidst all of what we were talking about with like wit and clever and everything, you have a very severe condition that what I wanted to ask you for clarification on is it may kill you today, tomorrow, but it also may not kill you for 20, 30, 40 years. Like, is this a really open condition? Well, that, this, that seems to be what's happening instead of, choking that off and killing me it's pushing through my head uh out my right eye my right eye is damaged it's paralyzed from the center line uh over as of just last year um it's always been attacking my eyes because that's where it lives in my head and uh it crushed a nerve that controls the movement of my eye and now it doesn't do that right anymore so um, yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I've got a divot in my head with a titanium plate. I've got a screwy eye now and, uh, and every day hurts a lot, but so instead of choking me off, it's just going to make it worse and worse and worse until question mark. So, um, but anyway, I cast a spell to come back to my neighborhood where my cat's buried. And as a ghost, I'm just going to look around and see if she's playing around there. And I might just sit there and smoke ghost cigarettes for 100 years to catch a sight of her, like, in the bushes or up in the big tree. Um, but if she's, you know, if we're still bonded, you know, <laughs> familiars, I should know right where she is. But that's my guess, because that's where these wonderful neighbors offered to lay her to rest because I lived in an apartment. I didn't want to dig into apartment ground and leave her there, but you know, I didn't have the right. <laughs> and anyway, um, they graciously offered the, um, they have a historic home and they offered the front corner of their yard. So yeah, I hope to uh, appear, step through that ivy arch uh right by her grave and see if she's playing around there so how um because you just said i hope to and before that you said you were you know pretty confident how uh i'm not curious about what how confident you are what i'm more curious about is how much does this matter to you i mean enough enough for me to give intent to it i cast a little spell i had some flash paper left over from a uh solstice observance and, uh, you know, I, I put my intent on that paper and I lit it and let go of it in that arch. And, uh, you know, that's uh, sort of the hedge wizardry that I, I play with because, um, because why not? <laughs>
<laughs> I read this book called The Holographic Universe. Oh, I love that book. It's by Mal Michael Talbot, I believe. And it just blows your mind every few pages. Like, you have to put it down and go, whoa. But uh, one thing that I basically, the takeaway of the whole book is that human intent can change outcomes in the physical world. Usually only religious zealots can whip it up that strong, but <laughs> belief will, can um, change outcomes. Belief can change outcomes. I love that. Um, I read that book and it was so profound. It went right over my head when I was a teenager. And then I reread it in my 20s and it went right over my head. And then I reread it in my 30s and it didn't go right over my head. But um, it's utterly profound. Yeah. The most interesting part of that book, though, the one that brings me comfort is the part about past life regressionists regressing people to the space in between lives and that you are um you are instrumental in choosing what your obstacles are in the next life because you know what your permanent soul knows which is everything and you know what you have to experience or apprehend so those are the things that you put in your own way in your next life to develop your soul, to see the things that you're supposed to see through that, through that reward, through that suffering, through that whatever that lifetime is permeated by. When did you adopt this philosophy? How old were you? Um, well, I read the book probably in my late 20s. And it just hung with me. And I didn't actively imply it until all this horrible, <laughs> all these horrible things started happening to me um, medically, situationally. I'm like, you know, I set this up for some reason. You know, maybe I had taken too many pleasure cruises in, in lives beforehand. And. <laughs> Now I had to get some of the math done. <laughs> I see why our mutual contact uh, set us up to talk. Um, we're very similar in a certain way. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm profoundly with you. I, I find it not ironic. I, it's the opposite of ironic that most people wait until some really heavy shit happens to start seeking God, spirit, truth, you know, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, and yet so many of us read these books in our 20s because that's the period where like, you want to explore so it's, it's funny to me we're searching right well the books that the books that hit me in my early 20s that formed like the first time i had sort of religious type of epiphanies about or you know vibrational understanding of was the works of carlos castaneda and primarily the practice of impeccability you know, the way that you comport yourself through life is that you seek to understand as much as you can, and you act on that as true to your nature, and you own your mistakes, and you attempt to change if you respect yourself and or that person that you wronged. So that, I mean, the rest of it was really cool and hard to digest without 
several trips through, but that was the main takeaway from that, that really I strived for impeccability. And that was better than what any other religion was offering it. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll say amen to that in a somewhat ironic way. Um, because it's, it's very true. Yeah. And I think, uh, God, I hope I say his name right. Miguel Rodriguez, who wrote the four agreements, you know, he says, be impeccable with your word. Um, a lot of people cite that. And, yeah. And that's for me, like there's four agreements in that book and three of them to me are pretty ridiculously easy. <laughs> that one is, it's, oh, wow. Uh, by the grace of God, may I someday pass that test. But I, uh, I'm actually curious because I do say in the opening line, I say how our views on death affect the way we live our life. You've covered that pretty well. So now I'm actually going to go next level. And I'm curious, um, you, at one point, everyone but six people deserved to die, and now only six people perhaps deserve to die. Uh, Tongue-in-cheek, I'm asking, like, why are you the arbiter of what is deserving and not deserving punishment? Like, where did you get that? Uh, that I, We all have that. I mean, I'm not, I'm, that's why I said tongue-in-cheek. But, like, how for you did that happen? I have come to understand it better. And that number has fluctuated, certainly. Uh you know, in the last five years or so, but um, ultimately it was uh, people who endeavor and revel in spreading needless suffering. Needless suffering is my least favorite thing. Existence is tough enough uh, <laughs> to make it worse for other human beings, for gain, sport, you know, what, whatever reason that they do, um, that sucks. We don't need that. Uh, you know, honestly, I don't think we need rapists in our society. <laughs> you know, sorry, you have to go. This is not what we're trying to do. If we have to explain this to you, we just, we can't help you. Goodbye. Um, you know, not just like people who don't like this beard I like, you know, it's just, some actual thought out stuff um but you know they are and there was a there was a conversation at a fire pit in portland uh one time back in the magical days <laughs> of portland where this rapper from los angeles was like we were there was there was great conversations around that fire pit. If you could have brought a mic there, you could have done a weekly podcast off of it. But someone had brought up, you know, um, in in a discussion of you know what is what what is, um, and therefore, you know, the whole thou shall not judge. Like we judge child molesters but they exist and i was like ow you just hurt my brain um but <laughs> like wasps exist sharks exist lions exist like nightmares exist um but you know i don't advocate that child uh, molesters are good at all but they do exist and from a religious point of view then so does heroin so do homosexuals so does um you know all those things that you fight against they're there 
Anyway. <laughs> I understand the trepidation when you talk about these heavy issues, and especially on a podcast with someone, A, you don't know, and B, it's going to be on the internet. So let me just reassure you that when you say, like, people don't accept this, you're talking about literally, like, the status quo in our country for hundreds of years has been, it's not okay to be this, it's not okay to be that, it's not okay, and yet these things exist. And so you're c calling out the most profound thought possible, which is if these things are not supposed to exist, why do they exist in every culture, in every society, in every epoch? And what can we do and how can we handle that? And so I'm not going to force you to answer that question, but you did a damn good job, in my opinion, of addressing how it comes up. What, what it really is eating at me is that you grew up in Michigan and then you lived in Idaho and then you moved to Portland. And I've lived in Portland and I've traveled to all 50 states and I'm definitely familiar with the subcultures of Michigan outside Detroit and also Idaho. And they're, they're rough. They're, they're very much what we're talking about. Like they're, they're the eye in the pie of America. And so I'm assuming you witnessed a lot of just like normal 1960s, 70s and 80s bullying, which again, I'm not apologizing for or saying is okay, but it's normal. Like I grew up with that too. And it's, it's hideous. So I'm curious, were, were you, and this is personal, but I think it matters for our audience. Were you the subject of bullying? Were you watching bullies or were you ever a bully or is it all three? Well, um, from the ages zero till 10, my bully was my dad. So I lived with bullying at home, real bullying from a giant bully who could really hit you harder than any kid could. So I didn't have bullies really as a, you know, there was this one kid who tried to bully me and I sort of threw him down a hole and then he wanted to be my best friend, <laughs> making making that story really short. But yeah, no, I had I had the ultimate bully, which was dad. So And I'm very sorry to hear that. And I'm still glad I asked the question because it's I think and like I said, it's for our audience. It's not for me or for you. It's because people need to know how much this shit affects people and um because you sound like a person who wants people to live a life without needless suffering. And that to me is the greatest quality any human can have because that's kind of the secret to everything. And yet you're being punished physically, whether you want to call it that or not, it appears that way since, as you said, normal people get physical punishment for living their life in their 75 to 80 range, if even then. You're having it in your late 40s. Um, so my heart goes out to you. I have nothing but compassion for you. And I also am thankful that you're talking about all this. Well, I'm, I've always wanted to have a podcast with a friend of mine because we would freestyle conversation um, for six hours or so for entertainment, just sitting around. Um, and we were good at it. And we always wondered, like... <laughs> Do we have bullet points? Are we scripted? Or we just do it organically? So I'm, I'm really, I'm really appreciative to be a part of this because it's, you know, it's been on my loose bucket list. <laughs> well, we are no Make a Wish uh, Foundation or anything, but I am very happy to help you out. <laughs> but I always give our guests a chance to kind of have the floor. So please. Um, Get your message out as, as clearly or unclearly as you want to, but what would you like to say to the, to the masses? I mean, we got people who listen to this. They don't know you. They're going to hear you. I'd like to say to everyone that death 
is a gift that God gives each one of his children. And sometimes, due to circumstances, we have to open them early, and that's rude, and that hurts the people around us. But it is a gift, and you'll get yours too, so try not to be jealous. Okay, holy f that was profound. That was, my dog just got diagnosed with a somewhat fatal life-ending thing, and I've been trying to wrap my head around it, and that is the only thing that has provided me comfort in the last five days, uh, because... He's opening his gift early, and I'm fucking mad at him for it, <laughs> which is inappropriate. Yeah, but it isn't It isn't early unless that was self-harm, right? That was, you know, that was his span, and, and you got to love him, and you got to spend that time with him, and that is such a gift. And what got me through Penelope's murder and burial and my relocation is gratitude, active, active gratitude for everything you're still grateful for even though dot 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 you're grateful for every second you got with him you're grateful for every time he gave you that adoring gaze you're grateful for you know every game of fetch you're grateful for it still that's not ruined it's still beautiful and it's still happening I, I am moved, and I want to thank you. Uh, we always say you've helped us put another nail in the coffin. I feel like you might have helped us put two in on this episode. Um, and I really appreciate you, and I really appreciate your gift of articulation. And so with that said, everyone, you have been listening to another episode of Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living. My name is Mike Oppenheim. Please, if you can, subscribe to the podcast and maybe share it with a friend. And we will see you soon. I walk into you and I see that you see me and I see your heels too and I feel that you